Thanks for listening to this edition of the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast. Here we examine what enables true creativity, how to convert ideas into innovation, and seek out what ignites enterprise-wide growth. I'm your host, entrepreneur, strategist, and muser of metacognition, David Peterson. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Wayne Miller. Wayne is the executive director of an entity called the Venture Center. Located in Little Rock, Arkansas, the Venture Center is the epicenter of innovation that's flourishing in financial technology. With an association and fintech backing, the Venture Center's goal is to focus in getting financial institutions, particularly community-based ones, to get more innovative and to help companies who are trying to address that innovation. Their culture is built around a philosophy of educate, collaborate, and accelerate. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. We start out after I've asked Wayne to introduce himself to you, the IDG podcast audience. Sure, I'll try to uh, try to be brief. I grew up in Pittsburgh and uh, spent uh, the early part of my life there. I actually attended the University of Pittsburgh and actually started my first uh, company when I was in college. I have had a, a highly diverse background, uh, starting with a small electron- electronics company that I did start when I was in college and had a couple of patents. Believe it or not, it was back in the disco age. We were helping people have uh, make, make, making the access to, 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 to blending and mixing music easier at that point using Visual, visualization instead of instead of listening. Went from that, believe it or not, into the restaurant business. Uh, owned three restaurants, and uh, then uh, started working for big companies. Um, started with a sales career at a company called Rom, which was uh, medical equipment and devices. Did about a decade with them, and then on to Deloitte, where I uh, came back to the D.C. area, which is really where I spent the majority of my life after that. And I helped be, helped uh, Deloitte build their national business development program from. I was the first hire to uh, about 19 cities and about $300 million a year in revenue. Got the, uh, got the startup bug, but always had been interested in startups and starting companies having done that and owned and operated a lot of variety of businesses. I've owned transmission shops, restaurants, et cetera, and uh, in 99 set out on a path on, for, for a dot-com after taking a company public, which was called Proxycom, ultimately sold to Dimension Data, where I went from Deloitte to really help them uh, build their sales infrastructure there. Internet service provider at that point, but also a consultancy working with the Fortune 1000. And then 99 set off on my own uh, to start a company called AdMind.com, which was a syndicated advertising play using the Internet as a platform for that. Raised about $18 million. And as most companies that started in that day, you, you know how it ended, unfortunately, two and a half years later. Always sort of thought about it as my MBA. It was an expensive MBA, I might add, but uh, <laughs> great stuff. Then on from there, actually, got, got, like I said, got into the transmission business. Uh, started with one shop, grew it to five, sort of a mini roll-up, and sold that. And uh, then after that, uh, into the transportation business with a what was really the largest taxi and livery fleet in the country. Oh, the company out of the D.C. area I had interest in buying that company, but a little organization called Uber came around, and I said, yeah. nope, not going not gonna to do that. That company went from about $50 million in revenue to about $8 million in revenue to the impact of Uber. From there, I uh, stepped into uh, the private equity space, but really at that point started working a lot with startups as both an investor, also as a board member, and also as, as, as a temporary or, or part-time employee 
to help them with both sales, marketing, really structure, governance, those sorts of things, and got involved with the Kauffman Foundation at that point and really started just really getting jazzed about trying to help early stage companies and founders with you know, the experience and knowledge that I had and not only the successes that I enjoyed, but, but also the failures. You know, regardless of the type of business, there are so many core concerns that every business needs to do well, particularly when you're starting out, trying to raise capital, uh, communicating what it is, your value proposition, the problems that you're solving and those sort of things. And uh, so did the private equity deal for about, about two and a half, three years, was responsible for actually bringing four companies together. I was the operating partner for the private equity group sort of put myself out of the job, although with some intention in doing that. Enjoyed private equity was a little bit different from the standpoint of working as an operator and really said, you know, what do I do with all this experience and background that I have because I love working with early stage companies and started to sort of scan the landscape. I uh, was actually given an offer to go do this in Miami for an organization that was doing a medical device uh, start cohort. And what I didn't like about what they were doing is that they really leaned very hard into investors and not so much the entrepreneur. Right. And I find that many of these accelerator, incubator type of programs or models are very much driven for the investors. It's sort of Tinder for, for, for investors, right? And I, I just didn't see the interest in really trying to support and help the startups because if they're successful, then the stakeholders in that process should also be successful. Right. And learned about this program that was taking place here in Little Rock, Arkansas with the Venture Center and in a relationship with an organization called FIS, who I think you know. And it was the second year of the program, so it was still pretty formative. I had never stepped foot in Arkansas before, and here I am almost three years later, and I think we built a remarkably successful program that I think is really supportive to helping these guys really get to market and be able to speak to banks effectively and really solving problems first uh, and, and, and we're not an organization that seeks out solutions. We do so as it relates to the problems of our clients. But so oftentimes, these programs are about, you know, solutions looking for problems, and we sort of flip that the other way. We right. really try to identify those problems effectively. So, and um, I do want to I do want to dig into the Venture Center some more, but I, I just have to say, you have quite the Renaissance man resume. That is a lot of different stuff you're involved with there, sir. It, it, it was, actually, and I'll tell you, you know, uh, my father said I couldn't keep a job, but that really isn't true. Uh, but, but some all would also suggest I'm somewhat unemployable. But, you know, that's, right. that's, that's part of the path that we take as entrepreneurs. And, and uh, you know, honestly. Another, another time we'll have to talk music because I, I am a music guy. I, I, I play and sing, but uh, I also use Pro Tools, and I actually was a part owner of a recording studio on Music Row uh, right up until the point that, Pretty much all of the recording studios uh, went out of business as well. So that we'll have to save the, the music conversation for another time. You bet. But the all diversity right. has served me well. I've been very lucky, so it's good. Yes, to yes, yes. yes. Uh, uh, you obviously have brought a lot to the Venture Center, right, uh, 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 all of these different experiences, including something like a transmission shop, which you wouldn't actually kind of think of is, okay, well, what's the correlation to that to financial technology? But uh, I find that the number of businesses that I've been involved in, including a coffee roasting business, gives me a great deal of insight in terms of how financial institutions need to work with all of these businesses and so forth. So, so tell us more about the Venture Center, uh, kind of more like, okay, here's the elevator pitch on what the Venture Center is actually about. 
Yeah, sure. So the Venture Center is really built on three pillars, and we, you know, our mantra here is about education, collaboration, and acceleration. And that's really the, the, the foundation in which we're built. And, and our role, while people know us mostly for our two accelerator programs, you know, 50% of our effort is dedicated to supporting the entrepreneurial community here in the state of Arkansas and beyond. And that really begins with creating a, a platform where people can be educated. You know, if, you, if you've got an idea today and you want to try to bring it to market, you know, obviously you probably have, still have a full-time job, but as you begin to evaluate that, you know, where do you begin? And what we like to suggest to people is, you know, X marks the spot, start here at the Venture Center. We begin with things like huddle hours, which enable us to begin to understand the idea or the thinking that you have, the problem you're trying to solve, the validity of what you're doing. We educate people through things like Lean Canvas methodology, through a variety of workshops that are not just for startups, but also people who are trying to scale businesses within our community. We provide insights and inspiration, and we do that through things like uh, what we call Lift the Rock, which is one of our programs, and also Fireside Chats, where we'll bring in a highly successful tech, you know, technology company or even a non-technology company and its founder to talk about their path and their challenges to getting where they've gotten today to be able to share their insights. And also, as I mentioned earlier, to really inspire people to develop the courage to go out and start a business. And well, again, while so much of what we do is technological, you know, based on my background, I'm all about good businesses, right? So, you know, if somebody wants to start a great restaurant or a nail salon or some form of a distribution company, you know, whatever that might be, we want to be there to be supportive and give them the tools and the mentorship that they need. The Venture Center enjoys about 100 mentors that are part of its mentor network. A lot of those, because of the nature of Arkansas, this being where FIS was founded in 1968, we've got a great base of people with good technological background as it relates to financial tech and financial services. So that's kind of, you know, our kind of our key mission. We'll talk a little bit about SEEK, which is uh, an initiative that we're, we're doing with one of the, the universities here in the area, which gets us into sort of the collaboration piece. So we like to collaborate with universities, uh, with technical schools, with other corporations to help them, again, stimulate entrepreneurial behavior, to give people insight into what it's like to be an entrepreneur, to give them the courage to step forward and start a business, but also to be able to, you know, we're six people at the Venture Center, so we're always looking for ways and individuals and organizations who provide us leverage to accomplish, you know, some of our objectives, both from a collaborative perspective and stuff. We, we also work collaboratively with other ESOs or entrepreneurial service organizations, not only within our state but beyond. Um, to share ideas. We're very transparent at the Venture Center about what we do and how we do it. Um, you know, we believe that, you know, it's all about the ingredients and execution, uh, knowing how to make the recipe not so important, but we're, we're happy to share that stuff. And then uh, really the last piece of this is about acceleration. And as you know, we have two primary clients, both the ICBA and FIS, where we do our 12-week boot camp on the ground here in Little Rock accelerator programs that have been highly successful in our second year, actually underway right now with the ICBA, and approaching our fifth year with FIS. So we should uh, let everyone know, because not all, obviously, Wayne, you and I know about ICBA and FIS, but not everyone listening to the podcast. So let's just explain quickly that ICBA is the Independent Community Bankers Association of America. So they're the primary trade group for financial institutions that are not major market center type uh, financial institutions. And then FIS is you know, one of the big three, if you will. They're one of the major vendors that supplies software and technology and services to the banking community across 
uh, all financial institutions, very, very large uh, banks down to very small banks. So I just wanted to kind of make sure everyone understood who those players were. And how did the, how did the involvement of FIS with the Venture Center come about? You mentioned that the origins of FIS are there in Arkansas. Is that, is it strictly geographic? You know, it's, it's not. That's probably more by coincidence than it is by design. You know, when this first started five years ago, I think uh, FIS being, you know, really the largest FinTech in the world was having difficulty clarifying and defining how they were being innovated. And, and I think that is a common issue with, with a lot of large corporations. Of course, we know that companies like FIS are highly innovative, have a roadmap, they're technological, et cetera. But, you know, as FinTech began to really sort of show its face and the challenges both in terms of disintermediating banks and trying to disrupt the industry came about, FIS needed something more specific to sort of point to. And I think that this program really started off fundamentally as a marketing issue uh, and that it, it gave uh, FIS kind of something to point at to say that we were being innovative by trying to develop dialogue with early-stage fintechs. And um, I don't know that any of us really were really clear on where this thing was going to go. And what's really happened over five years is that the Venture Center, working very closely with FIS, its line of business leaders, have been able to really be helpful in not only creating the dialogue with FinTech, which is so important in early stage companies, which as I mentioned earlier, is really tough for big companies to do. A lot gets lost in translation. But FIS enjoys exposure to or access to 23,000 banks on a global basis. Right. You know, they're about a $14.5 billion company today. And what's happened here is Little Rock has become, uh, you know, one of, I think, the, 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 the significant and meaningful hubs for innovation. FIS's presence here is about 1,400 employees. They're about 53,000 globally. But we have been able to create an experiential opportunity for their clients to come here and look at well-vetted companies that are meeting specific objectives that FIS has as it relates to either product gaps or new products or new product technologies or ideas or platforms that they're looking to resolve from a problem perspective. And, and we, you know, we solicit and we source uh, 10 relevant companies that are non-competitive, that are non-disruptive to, well, perhaps disruptive, but non-disintermediating to the financial industry. And we make those decisions with FIS as we, as we source these companies. And then during the 12 weeks, anywhere from 50 to 70 financial institutions will come through the Venture Center and interact with these companies on a one-on-one -on -one basis, enabling us to really shorten that feedback loop, show them a path to market, teach them how to pivot respectively, and make them viable as it relates to a potential solution for FIS. And let me also add, David, if I may, that the companies that we see today versus in the early days are a little bit more mature and a little bit more established. Working with true startups, you know, kind of two guys working out of the garage on the back of the napkin is a pretty tough engagement for us as it relates to FIS's ability to integrate those solutions. Mm -hmm. So today, the maturity of companies that we look at are likely already in market, probably have raised some capital, probably post-seed, kind of pre-A or, or working towards an A round, and are generating probably ARR in excess of about a half a million dollars a year. So the the ability for FIS to work with those companies and be able to integrate is is, is much easier. But the now, feedback that these guys get is extraordinary. This is great. This is great. And I think you answered one of my questions, but I want to go back and make sure. It, it, from a chicken and egg perspective, 
you are finding companies and then offering those up to FIS, or is FIS saying, we're looking for these kinds of things, and you're actively seeking companies that will sort of fit a slot that FIS is looking in which to innovate? Great question, and let me clarify. So, you know, again, our, our mantra here at the, at the Venture Center is, you know, we are problem-focused and solution-driven. So, you know, I, I think, again, if, if you look at a lot of kind of accelerator incubator programs, they find these wonderful solutions that they go seeking out problems to try to resolve. And we, we, we take absolutely the opposite approach. So the, the recruiting process as it relates to these companies is about a six-month process for us. It, it takes quite a bit of time. We are typically looking at hundreds of applications from around the globe. Uh, for example, the ICB Accelerator right now, we have companies in here from Canada, Israel, the UK, obviously some, some companies on a national basis as well, even Arkansas. But what we do is we work closely with the um, really what's called the EPO in FIS, which is the Enterprise Product Office, working with Spencer Jones and his team. And we try to identify to your question, you know, what are the types of problems, gaps, et cetera, that they are trying to resolve or, to, or that they're challenged with. And then we go out you know, very much with a laser trying to find companies that are going to help them overcome, fill those gaps, or help them, you know, manage through those challenges. And then the FIS line of business leaders along with the EPO are actually involved in that uh, interviewing process. We'll do the first cut. We'll go kind of distill it down to about 50 or 60 out of, like I said, many hundreds. And then we will uh, get in one-on-one -on -one situations with them. They'll go through about three interviews before they're being accepted. And then, of course, FIS does invest in each of these companies coming into the program, and there's a $75,000 investment that's made in each of them. And then they're down here with us in Little Rock for 12 weeks, which is where they need to be if they want to meet with the bank. And as somebody who has actually started a company in the metropolis of Hay Hira, Georgia, I'm certainly sensitive to the fact that not all startups get, you know, get in Silicon Valley or in Austin or whatever. People probably don't realize the kinds of things that are going on in a place like Little Rock, Arkansas. But I think you would agree that, that, that it is a great place for this incubator incubator to, to actually be. Is that, is that accurate? It is. You know, the, the point you make earlier, you know, starting a company today in, in San Francisco, New York, or even Austin and Nashville, those sort of spots, you know, certainly the opportunities are significant there. But obviously the cost, the traffic, the uh, ability to, to attract and retain and keep people, more importantly, is quite difficult. Yeah. So, you know, Little Rock has, you know, it's a little bit of a pain to get to, but once you're here, it's incredibly easy. You know, you're seven minutes from the airport. These teams who come here find lodging through our, our partners here in the area that allow them to walk to work. Cost of living here is great. Uh, Little Rock thinks they have traffic. I grew up in the Northeast. My, my, my God, that's traffic. You know, you know. Here, here I'll call it congestion at best, but it is a great place. The other thing, too, is, you know, Arkansas and the state is a stakeholder in, in our programming. You know, Arkansas, is, 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 is the quality of life here is terrific, and most people just don't know about it. It's pretty well-kept secret, but outdoor life, the Ozarks, the lakes, if you enjoy those types of things, world-class mountain biking, I enjoy motorcycle riding, and, and the roads here are just fantastic. It's a wonderful place. And uh, it's definitely a city on the rise, great restaurants, wonderfully kind people who we have remarkable access here to. You know, I mean, I literally can pick up the phone and call the governor. The mayor and the governor were here for our kickoff. They, they care about what we're doing here. They're financially invested in what we're doing here. And I think that people who come here and spend time here 
you know, seven of the companies that we've had come through our accelerator programs have made Arkansas their headquarters in their home. So that's a real win for us. That's huge. And you mentioned the Accelerator 2.0 program, which I think kicked off if memory serves last Wednesday. Is that right? It, that's correct. Yep. Yeah. Talk, talk, you know, just kind of, you know, that, that's a great example of the kind of progress you're putting on. Just, again, very kind of 20,000-foot level of what that program's like. And you mentioned companies from all over the world. But what will they be doing now from, from last Wednesday on? So, you know, we, we get them in and obviously try to get them oriented make them uh, have a clear understanding of the structure of the program. We, we culminate the, the, the first week in a big kickoff event here, which was attended by a couple of hundred folks and a, and a great dinner that we do through the chamber here that welcomes them to town, but also gets them face-to-face -face with many of our mentors that are part of the program. This past weekend, we do a bonding event. We were up in what's called Mount Magazine, which is a great big park. It overlooks uh, Arkansas. It's actually Arkansas's highest point. We were fortunate to have uh, a number of senior leaders from the ICBA who participated with us, and also uh, Palmer, who is the guy who runs Finnovate, who, as we both know, sees uh, an awful lot of pitches. So this weekend was really about kind of getting them level set, kind of seeing where they are, and making sure that they're effectively communicating. Tomorrow we start with bank visits, so we'll see about five or six banks come through here this week. They will come here, spend a day with us, spend 30 minutes with each company, and this is not a sales environment. We are getting them in front of these bankers to help them really shape, mold, sort of sculpt their solutions, and also how they communicate with banks and really teaching them how to speak with banks. And this is part of kind of our go-to-market approach here, which is what we do. Uh, I'm sorry, Wayne, let me interrupt you. I just want to, I'm sure. very curious about the logistics here. So let, let's say, you know, First National Bank of, you know, wherever comes in and you've got a presentation, maybe a, a boardroom or a type of presentation room, and so you, you, they're set up there, and then you bring these companies in, and they're giving their 30-minute pitches in, a, in, in sort of a formal presentation-type setting. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that, that's fundamentally the structure. So we enjoy the, uh, the entire sixth floor here at the Tech Park in Little Rock, and we have a permanent classroom area and a couple of conference rooms. So typically what happens, the bank will join us around 8 or 8.30 in the morning, Primarily senior leaders, we tend to get a lot of C-level execs here, about 80% uh, when they come. And so what they'll do is talk a little bit about kind of what's keeping them up at night, what are the challenges that they're facing in this program, and uh, what they're seeing within those communities and, and how they're being challenged to, you know, increase deposits, the things their problems they're having with security, all, all things that you can possibly imagine that uh, a financial institution is contending with today. These guys will stand up and give um, kind of a, a one- or two-minute uh, elevator pitch and then we'll go ahead and convene in the conference room, and then each of the companies will come through, give them about seven to ten minutes, kind of their, their decks and their pitches, and then sit there and get a chance to interact directly for about 20 yeah. minutes on So it really that, is kind of like a, like a mini Finnovate. It, it, that's exactly what it is. And, you know, we've had a lot of folks say they'd rather come to, uh, to, to, to the Venture Center than go to Finnovate and, and Money 2020, which I know are great events, and we recruit there, but it is uh, – a chance to deal with well-vetted companies by their institution that they're members of or they are part of where the solutions that we're presenting here are highly relevant to their specific concerns. Very nice. And so if you if you sort of look back, all right, so you got this brand new one that's just, just kicking off and banks are going to start coming in this week and, and that will stretch out for, for how long? How long will the companies that just came in last Wednesday be there in Little Rock? They'll be with us for 12 weeks. So with the ICBA, these guys are pretty fortunate because they will do their – our demo day for the ICBA will be at their national convention in Orlando mid-March. 
And then we will also do a second one here for our community in Little Rock. So these guys actually get uh, get a little extra bang for the buck. Nice. And, uh, of course, these companies are making a commitment to send whomever is coming to be there in Little Rock for 12 weeks. I and mean, that's, a, that's a big commitment. It, it is. And, and, you know, part of the investment that the ICBA, along with FIS, makes in these companies is $75,000. Obviously, part of that is, we, you know, sort of the scholarship to be with us for 12 weeks. Uh, and, and, and it's important that the right people are here, and typically it is the founder and or the CEO of those companies who are here, and most importantly, someone who can, you know, clearly articulate the value proposition of their solution. So if you think back to uh, past accelerators, right, so this is obviously not the first one you've done, what would be a good example if you just had to throw out, hey, let me tell you this success story about a company that came in, went through our accelerator, and kind of look where they are now. What, what's a good example of that? You know, I think there's, fortunately there are a number of them. So 90% of the companies that have come through our accelerator are still in business or have been acquired. The average capital rate coming out of the program is about $2.1 And we've had roughly about 30% of them structure very specific deals with FIS or the ICBA accordingly. I think a great example is Bond.ai. Uday Akarajou and his team, which is really developing the voice channel through an empathy engine that they've got, that they, they built over here the last three and a half years. Uday started in India, came to New York. From New York, came to participate in the accelerator, ultimately moved himself and his company and his family here. In fact, just recently had a baby, so we're really having a, a, a big impact on economic development. We're starting to increase the population, right, which is great. And... Um, Uday today is a partner of FIS's. They are promoting his solution to their customers directly. Uday's company has probably gone to a valuation of, I imagine, somewhere between 30 to $40 million. Is really at the cutting edge when it comes to the voice channel and the voice communications because, as we all know, in another three to five years, that is the way in which we will do business. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Uday is a great example of that and I think really benefited from this program. From the FIS side, I think a great example there is a company called AdLumen, which is doing uh, real-time security analysis of fraud and fraud issues, really being able to create situational awareness for their client in a cloud-based solution. Uh, AdLumen came into this program last year at a fairly early stage with a few customers. Today they are a preferred provider for, for the ICDA and are growing. Uh, I, I don't know the percentage, but it is quite significant. It could be about three digits. And uh, we, we look to see that company probably transact in the next 24 months. Wow. Um, and there's a lot of, of others, but I think those are kind of two great examples kind of off the top of my head, one from each program. That's outstanding. Let's switch gears a little bit. So obviously you have your finger on the pulse of generally what's going on in FinTech. You're paying attention to Finnovate. You're, you're looking at the industry and seeing, you know, how it's going. If we, if we back this back down to the, the financial institution, let's call it the prototypical client or member of the ICBA. Let's say it's a $287 million bank in upstate uh, Arkansas, just to, just to, to, to throw uh, something like that out there. What is your take on the future of innovation for financial services? How are these FIs, who are not historically known as being, you know, super big in innovation, how are you seeing the needle move? What What is it that you see happening with these community financial institutions relative to them getting very aware and much more active in innovative services for their customers today and future customers? Great great question. I don't know if most people realize is that, you know, 99.5% of the banks in this country are community banks. 
they are generating 80% of the agricultural loans in our country and about 50 to 60% of the small business loans. So, you know, like the Venture Center, they are on Main Street in their communities. Fundamentally, these banks are small businesses that operate with that sort of fat in that sort of fashion. Obviously, highly regulated and all the things that go along that with being in the industry. But you know, I think the the traditional aspect of how these banks exist has been hard change for them to make. And you know, uh, clearly they've been threatened and challenged by you know companies like Chime, Robinhood, and all these different kind of apps and, and solutions that are gnawing away at their population. But one thing that community banks have and have had is the relationship. They know you, they know your dad, they know your granddad, they're likely you know, second and third generation in those communities and so forth. So I think one of the intentions of the ICBA in particular, and also with FIS, one of the byproducts has been we've helped sort of foster a spirit of innovation within those organizations and giving people who are in those organizations the courage to look beyond what is their traditional kind of um, method of, of how they build their businesses and how they, they, they interact with their customers. You know, our population today is kind of sort of in three buckets. We sort of have the boomers, this big transfer of wealth, obviously the millennials, and then we start talking about Gen Z and so forth. Right. And all of us kind of deal with our financial world in a different fashion. Some still want, you know, direct mail uh, and want to make a physical deposit. Others never have. And chances are, as we get younger and younger, they've never been to a bank and likely never will go to right. a bank. Right. And, and, and they're, they're demanding that they want to sit on their sofa watching Netflix at 10.30 at night and be able to submit a mortgage application or a car application, right? So to answer your question, you know, I think that the way in which we interact, our objective here with the ICBA is how do we take that high touch that they've enjoyed in those relationships and how do we fold those high-tech solutions in together? Right. And that's been, our, that's been our objective here. Yeah. So how do we help them increase deposits? How do we help them retain customers? How do we help them reduce attrition? Uh, how do we help them effectively market more or effectively through things like geolocation, get them in front of the firms and the companies like that, and credit cards and so forth that are kind of stealing some of those businesses, and, and help them really sustain and support the relationships they've had through the life of that client. So through, through the start of a college loan and into a car loan and into a house loan and then sending kids back to college. How do we keep that stuff going? And also from a commercial perspective, because community banks are so important to the local coffee shop, the local grocery store or restaurant, and help them manage cash flow more effectively. So I think back office, marketing, obviously voice is important, uh, efficiencies in the back office, as we've mentioned, helping them acquire deposits and so forth. These things are changing rapidly and dramatically at what we like to say is internet speed, and we're helping them find those solutions, I think, very effectively here. Nice. One of the uh, keynote <clears throat> sessions that I have is called Innovation and Banking, Impossible, Improbable, or Inevitable. And what I see happening with a lot of community banks is they're not, they're not necessarily thinking or trying to be active with innovation, but ultimately they will innovate because they sort of get put along kicking and screaming, like uh, begrudgingly, right, have to do it. So I'm, I'm looking for some seeds of hope for the typical community bank out there who, as CEOs turn over, as, as you know, younger uh, folks, maybe even some older Gen X become the leaders of their financial institutions and ultimately will see millennials, uh, you know, be the CEOs of community banks. I'm really hoping to see that more proactive move towards innovation and financial services as opposed to sort of, 
you know, status quo community banking. What do you think? No, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I think that, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of one of the byproducts of this program. I think we've been able to show community bankers a, 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 a path, right? And, and the other two is don't, don't discount them. They're, many of them are, are highly innovative, and they are certainly the fewer as opposed to the many. But I think to your point, you know, it's creating a venture of innovation within that organization throughout community banking. They recognize that they have to do these things to be relevant. And I think to your point, I think where it is, it is inevitable. But um, I think where they're challenged is ultimately many of them are on legacy cores. So that's an issue. So API and API connecting and connection today is making the integration for these organizations much easier so they don't have to be dependent upon their core to do that. The other thing, too, is uh, I think we're seeing uh, some change in the regulatory environment, obviously, as it relates to enabling these banks to take on these newer high-tech solutions in a, in a fashion that's that, that with less friction, right? Yeah. And you mentioned Gen Z in your, in your comments just a moment ago. So that leads me to ask you about the Student Entrepreneur Education Collective. So that, that's a very interesting, uh, uh, I guess, add-on or program as a part of the business. Talk a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah, SEEK is uh, really our first foray into working with one of the universities here in the area as it relates to being supportive to their current entrepreneurial curriculum. Um, I actually taught uh, entrepreneurship for two years as an adjunct at the University of Maryland. And, you know, what was interesting to me is when I went in to teach a class, I was handed a book. And I thought, well, this is interesting. I didn't know any other book on entrepreneurship. So, you know, we, we tend to think of it as being a little bit more um, pioneering, if you will. And it's great that these universities have this kind of structured three-ring binder approach to entrepreneurship because clearly there are some pieces there which are, which are teachable. But the knowledge and the inspiration that I think really entrepreneurs ultimately kind of pushes them off the edge and gets them to try to fly on their own is so much about the experience they have with mentors or other people who have done this. And what we have done with SEEK is we're trying to give dimension to our universities who are teaching these types of programs to get beyond the curriculum and into the heads of entrepreneurs who have enjoyed either success or failure, and some instances both, to really share the nitty-gritty. Everything from, you know, being an entrepreneur starting a business, you know, people talk about things like work-life balance, a lot of emotional roller coasters, you know, obviously mental health is part of that, the pitfalls that they've experienced, how to speak correctly in raising capital, why it's important to do things like a lean canvas, uh, building a business plan, building the economics behind what you're doing, taking time to validate what you're doing with customers through customer discovery, those sorts of things. So it's really more about the roll up your shirt sleeves, nitty-gritty stuff that you got to do behind the typical kind of blocking and tackling that an entrepreneur does when starting a business, really giving them insights into the life experiences of people who have built great businesses. And it's resonating with these students in a great way. And, and one of the things I see as an issue is you've got these, you know, these young people, younger millennials, certainly Gen Zs and the, and the generation that will come after. These are highly uh, uh, energized. They're, and, and uh, you know, there's you know, the joke that, hey, these are a bunch of people who's never lost a soccer game, right? So they're ready. Hey, let's go start a company. Come on. The, you know, the, the sky's the limit. Let's go be a millionaire you know, at 23. So the enthusiasm and, and all of that is there. Somehow that has to be tempered by, you know, there are some time-honored things that we know make businesses work that maybe older Gen X and baby boomers can share. But there is sort of a, 
still a fundamental gap where, where they're really not kind of being able to draw on one looking for the energy and enthusiasm and excitement and the other looking for wisdom and kind of matching that up. So what I'm hearing you is that that's what you're kind of trying to do with the speak is, is give them that more grounded approach to, hey, start a business, great, but think about these things. Incorporate these kinds of techniques and, and things into your new startup. That, that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons that, that, you know, I love the work that I do is because of the experience that I've had. If in some way, shape, or form, myself or a mentor or some other person who's part of our organization, you know, or outside of our, of our team as well, you know, we, we have all operated businesses here. And so we, we look at things a little bit differently. But the point is, is that if we can shave off a moment, a day, a week, a month, or a year, in somebody's path towards success and getting them able to stand that business up or telling them not to, right? Because, you know, a lot of time and energy goes into sometimes people get, you know, very enamored with the baby, right? And somebody says the baby's ugly and uh, they have difficulty digesting that. I've certainly seen companies fail for that reason because they won't let go and listen. Sure. So our hope is that we can help shorten that path to market and move them towards uh, a level of, of, of being more investable and propel them towards success uh, more rapidly than they would in a normal or kind of day-to-day or kind of on their own fashion, if you will. So let me wrap up our conversation here with this last question. If somebody was interested in maybe starting Hype Up FinTech today, not just any entrepreneurial company, but let's say they were specifically had an idea, something new and unique that they thought might be applicable to financial services, and it doesn't matter whether they were a boomer or Gen X or millennial or whomever, what kind of advice? What would sort of be your, again, your sort of elevator pitch advice to somebody who at this juncture had an idea but wasn't exactly sure what to do next? How would you counsel them? Well, you know, obviously depending on where they are sort of in their uh, in their trajectory, you know, obviously as a true startup, you know, one of the things that we encourage people to do is, you know, take time to fall in love with the problem, not so much your solution initially, and make sure you truly understand that. You know, one of the big questions that we always ask, and probably the first question we ask is, David, why are you doing this? You know, what got you up out of bed one day and said, I have got to figure this out? And, and, and you know, what is, the, what is the energy, to your point, and the passion behind that? Because, you know, the challenges to being an entrepreneur and trying to solve a significant problem or even a small problem, you've got to be pretty tenacious. You've got to persevere. You've got to kind of be able to walk through walls and listen to a lot of people tell you a lot of things being able to digest that feedback is sometimes uh, it's sometimes that feedback is contradictory. So you've got to learn how to do that pretty effectively. The other thing too is, you know, I'm a big believer in the lean canvas approach. You know, years ago, and you know this, we used to write 30 to 50 page business plans. Well, thank God we don't do that anymore because nobody read them anyway. So lean, lean canvas gives us that single sheet of paper that allows us to quickly and easily communicate, you know, how we differentiate our, ourselves. What is the problem that we're really trying to solve? And how does our solution uh, effectively do that? And then there's obviously the competitive and, and economic dynamics of that as well. But really starting there, I think, is, is the best advice I can give. And then sit down with people who know more about the industry that you're thinking about servicing than perhaps you do, or the people that you respect, and get their feedback and pile that. Spend time talking with the potential buyers of your service before you try to sell it. And remember, if, you, if nobody buys what you're selling, you don't have a business. It's just you really go. that. You know, so so make sure you keep that obviously in mind because, you know, ultimately, 
people have to buy what you're selling, and then ultimately we also have to be able to demonstrate that we have a path to profit. And I know there's a lot of companies today that contradict that, but I think our markets are tightening up to say, hey, look, we, we can, we'll continue to invest in you, but there needs to be a capacity profit here. And, so, and last, uh, last opportunity to do your bit for the uh, Little Rock Chamber of Commerce. They would they would be well served if they would bring their idea and make it turn it into fruition at a Little Rock, right? Well, you know, we, we obviously would love to see that. You know, we certainly don't put a gun to anybody's head as it relates to that. <laughs> but, uh, but the Arkansas Economic Development Commission, the Chamber, and so forth, Again, the access here is extraordinary. The incentives are strong. Cost of living is great. Quality of life is extraordinary. And uh, I encourage everybody to come take a look. Uh, but we, we, we do wear shoes here and do have indoor plumbing, as some people may not think about our Fascinating. Even if you're not part of the fintech family. Hearing these stories of how entrepreneurs, even very young ones, are being encouraged and nourished has to feel really, really heartening. There's no telling what the effects of Wayne Miller and the Venture Center will yield in the next five years. Perhaps, perhaps the next big banking slash faster payment app that you'll have on your mobile device will be from a company sprouted right there in Little Rock. We'll wait and see. Thanks again for investing your valuable time listening to the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast. I covet your questions, comments, or critique. You can reach me at david at davidpeterson.com. I'm also on Facebook at DP Speaks and everywhere else on social media at DLP Speaks. I look forward to hearing from you and be sure to look for a new episode soon.